0: Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm your host here and I'm a recovering sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. I'm super excited today because I am sitting here with John Taylor. John is a therapist that treats sex addiction and I'm, I am t- I was personally introduced to John about a year ago. Um, the therapist that I see uh, is in the same clinic and I saw a flyer about a, um, an intensive, a one-day intensive workshop about big emotions. And I didn't know anything about John, and I went to this one-day intensive workshop because big emotions are something that I struggle with. I get overwhelmed really quickly by emotions in my own life, and they seem to just paralyze me. So I went to this one day intensive workshop and I learned so much. So many of the things that he talked about really rang true for me and really, really helped me in my recovery. And then about a month ago, I had two emails on the same day from a few of listeners saying, Amy, how do you get through these big emotions? What do you do? How do you ground yourself? How do you learn from them? How do you work through emotions? And so, and I heard from a couple others as well. And so I reached out to John to see if he would be willing to come on and discuss with us some, what he feels about big emotions, some of his strategies, and some of the ideas underlying big emotions. Before we jump in today, let me share a few quick reminders and announcements. We are just days away from our first Worth Recovery event titled Engaged in the Struggle. And it's going to be this Saturday, July 16th in the Seattle, Washington area. I really, really hope that you're going to join us if that's where you live or you're traveling there or happen to be in the area. I'm I'm really, really excited. It's going to be amazing. You've heard all about our lineup. We still have some seats available. So if you want to come, get on the website, worthrecovery.com, and look for the events tab and we'll Be excited to meet you and to spend time together. Um, If you don't live in the Seattle area or you're listening to this after the event, don't worry. We've got more in the works and we'll be announcing those soon. Also, as always, I want to give a big shout out to our Worth Warriors. Thank you for your support. It's because of the Worth Warriors that this podcast can remain free for all women in sex addiction, wherever they are, whatever fellowship they belong to. They just need help. It's very important to me that when a woman reaches out in sex addiction, that there is another woman there to help her take her hand and connect with her and help her get into recovery. And the Worth Warriors help make that happen by providing the means to keep this podcast free. So thank you so much. You can be part of providing that connection and a voice for women by becoming a Worth Warrior. You can do this for as little as $4 a month. That's less than 50 cents an episode. And you can support other women in recovery. The other thing that you can do is to share this podcast. Do you have someone that you think might benefit? Another woman in recovery? Maybe it's another man in recovery. Maybe they're not in recovery, but they need to be in recovery. Share this podcast. Help them find the support that they need. Help them by sharing your favorite episode. Maybe today's episode will be your favorite. And help them by sharing that and sharing Sharing your experience with them. All the information about both our upcoming event and the Worth Warriors can be found on our website, WorthRecovery.com. Now let's get back to today. Today's episode 46, and we're going to jump back into our interview with John Taylor. Real quick, John is a licensed social worker, has a master's degree in social work, also a CSAT therapist and a CMAT therapist. Did I say that right? Yes. Okay, yep. so CSAT being a sexual, um, certified sexual addiction therapist and CMAT being a certified multiple addiction therapist, correct?
1: Yes, Okay,
0: that's awesome. And so I'm excited to have John with us today to talk a little bit about Big Emotions. John.
1: Thanks, Amy. I'm really excited to be here. Um, I have to admit, I am a huge fan of the Worth Recovery podcast. I was telling Amy before we started recording that um, I was humming a song this morning, and I was like, what is that song? Why am I humming that song? And I realized it's the theme music to Worth Recovery, so (laughs) big fan, and I'm really excited uh, to be here today talking about Big Emotions.
0: Thank you. I just realized also you're my first male guest. Oh, So there awesome. you go. Yeah, super excited about that.
1: I'll have to put that on my CV or something. <laughs> um, I am excited to talk about this. This is uh, something that has kind of developed as a bit of a uh, specialty for me in what I do. Um, I think that uh, big emotions are a huge part of recovery. Uh, I'll often tell my clients, if you want to understand why you do something, stop doing it for a while and then you'll see why you do it. And most of the time when my clients are giving up their porn or masturbation or hookups or, or any of their addictive behaviors, usually the first thing that they encounter after is this wall of huge emotions. Um, and they don't even recognize it as big emotions in the beginning, they just feel undone, disorganized, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, there's even a saying in Alcoholics Anonymous that the best part of recovery is that the emotions come back And the worst part of recovery is that the emotions come back. (laughs) Absolutely. I I think it's pretty important to look at addiction as a way that we medicate our emotions. When you're acting out, um, after the fact, you might feel some despair, you might feel some shame. But when you're pursuing that high, there's not a whole lot that you're in touch with when it comes to your emotions. Um, So addiction can be our friend, quote unquote friend, in the sense that it keeps us from feeling things that we feel like we're going to get squashed by. Um, so
0: I really liked what you said about how sometimes when we, like, when we stop doing that, we're flooded with this big wall and we don't necessarily recognize it as emotion. Like I would definitely say that about my experience. Once I stopped acting out, like I just felt just torn apart. Like I had no idea that what I was feeling was even emotion, just that, um, I couldn't get myself organized. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't show up on time. I couldn't do anything as soon as I quit acting out how, how do you um, how do you explain that to your clients how do you help them see that what they're feeling is emotion
1: so so the first thing that I think it's important to recognize is that as long as as, as much as we like to think we're really logical creatures we're not <laughs> um, we're very emotionally driven so I would say disorganization the running behind all those things that you just said um, when our life isn't working the way that we want to, despite our focus, despite our best efforts, there's probably some kind of emotional undercurrent going on that's putting up some blocks for us or making it hard for us to have the kind of life, the kind of recovery that we want to have. Um, So I'll, I'll tell my clients, we can put some good behavioral plans in place. And that's actually one of the things that I appreciate about the work you do, Amy, the most, is that you have some really great strategies for changing behavior. And I think that's so important. We've got to stop... We've got to stop the problematic behavior if we're going to get at the stuff underneath because the stuff underneath is like the river that pushes us back toward relapse, toward disconnection, toward shame, all those things. Um, So I'll usually talk with my clients in the beginning that we're going to get the behavior under control. We also need to understand what's been pushing you in that direction, and that's emotions. So on a real basic level, um, we kind of get into let's just develop some awareness of what your body feels like. let's develop some awareness around what do you like to feel what don't you like to feel mm-hmm. this is almost like wading into a hot bath um, for for some people it feels scalding um, we really have to get used to the temperature of having emotions because we've lived in addiction so long avoiding our emotions
0: mm-hmm. yeah I like that great idea so you were saying that um, part of staying sober right is learning to kind of Identify and also recognize that we have to feel those those emotions. Mm -hmm. So what's what do we do?
1: Um, I I think in the beginning um, Emotions can feel like a big uh, vague notion Mm -hmm. Um, I I think if you can make a face for it, it's an emotion and that can be a place to start Um, Just I'm actually I'm gonna give you a handout you can put on your website if you want to it's just a, a sheet of a bunch of different faces that can help you start to identify and get some words around what your emotions are. I think it's really hard to move something if we can't describe it. So that's a really great place to start. Hey that face where you know the the brow is furrowed and and the mouth is pursed that feels that feels I identify with that. Oh that's called frustration or that's called concentration or um, whatever the emotion may be. Starting to get some words around it is a really great place to start. I think this is where working with your sponsor and other support people comes in, come in really well, working with people who are a little further down the path than you, who have maybe reconnected with some emotions. They can help you start to see what some of the emotions are. They can help to pause you and hold on, wait a minute there. What was that feeling? Or you glossed over that information really quick. If I went through that, I would have felt devastated. I would have felt isolated. I would have felt alone. I would have felt excited. Um, Having somebody that can kind of help you mirror and help you like wade into that pool of emotions. I think is important.
0: That happened to me just like two hours ago. Oh, nice. I I know. I called my sponsor. I had my sponsor weekly call and was just talking to her about things and was just kind of, I don't know, a little bit glossing over an event. And she stopped me and said, hey, so, you know, have you thought about how that made you feel? Like I would have felt, you know, sad by what you just expressed. And It was really great experience for me to pause and think oh yeah I am feeling sad about that or you know and what else am I feeling about that Mm -hmm. sometimes I don't even even recognize that what are what are some of the largest or the biggest feelings you feel like people experience the most or the most common maybe even
1: Um, I'd say the number one emotion that we like to avoid is shame Um, And there's been some really great work done around shame. If you want to start understanding your shame and understanding what shame is, look up Brene Brown, uh, pause the podcast, Google her right now, (laughs) um, watch her YouTube video, she'll change your life. Um, But shame is that feeling where you you haven't done something bad, you are something bad. Um, And it shows up in our body in some really interesting ways. Shame is usually a sinking pit in the stomach. Um, there's usually heat around the head. I get it in my ears, the back of my neck, um, and I get this general feeling like I want to. F- if I could fold into myself and not exist anymore, then I would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, shame is an emotion that drives disconnection. In the in the way we physically feel shame, the muscles in the back of the neck actually relax, and so your head droops. Mm. In different cultures around the world, um, they have different rules or or standards around different emotions. Shame in our culture here in the United oh, I shouldn't say our culture. You have international listeners. I do
0: have international listeners, yes. But shame in the US, we could shame, say that. Yeah, shame <laughs> in the
1: US. Um, we are a culture that avoids shame so much that most North Americans actually get tense in the back of their necks with shame. As a reaction to that, I don't want to disconnect, but really, shame is an emotion that signals disconnect Hmm. and signals disconnect because of disapproval. And that is painful stuff. Um, We start feeling that as kids. um, And you think the world, how the world looks to a kid when a caretaker is saying, you don't get to be connected to me anymore, or you've done something wrong and I'm not here for you. That's a devastating feeling, and I don't think we experience that as adults much differently than when we experience it as kids. Um, so shame is one of the huge ones I see. Anger is another big one. Um, for myself and my clients included, I think a lot of addicts will say, I feel two emotions, it's nothing or I'm pissed. <laughs> um, anger, I think, is a really easy emotion for a- addicts to access because it it gives them a sense of power, sense of being in control. Anger is a really great way to shove. And if relationships are unsafe or, or intense for you, Anger is going to be a go-to emotion because it it helps to get people to back up from you. Anger I think is a really useful emotion too. It's actually um, the event that you went to a year ago. I love teaching that and and one of the things I hope people get out of it is they make friends with their anger. Anger is a really great tool for knowing when you need to set a boundary for when you need to say no. Um, But if we're not following through and setting boundaries and saying no, anger just leaves us boiling inside. Um, Anger In ourselves that doesn't get expressed turns into resentment and as you all know from your 12-step reading resentment is a rocket fuel for addiction Um, so anger is a huge thing that comes in anger is also about loss Um, if we stop medicating the anger maybe we get in touch with the losses that we've experienced maybe we get in touch with what it really felt like to be abused or mistreated or neglected Um, and so anger is something that people see Um, loneliness i think is another really painful one um i recently listened to your podcast about connection on demand Mm -hmm. um connection on demand is a i'll say great antidote for for loneliness or abandonment great meaning that you get connection like that because it it sucks to be alone we started feeling that as kids being anxious can i take care of myself Are mom and dad coming back and again i don't think as an adult it's much different when we experience disconnect It goes to the very core of who we are. And I know that um, when I experience loneliness, it's one of the emotions I want to run from the quickest. Um, Another one is overwhelming sadness, depression, or grief. Who likes to feel down? Who likes to feel in the dumps? Who likes to be overwhelmed by that? Um, It's that I've heard people say before that addiction is the grief process interrupted. So we didn't get to finish our grief. We didn't get to move past the anger and the loss into acceptance. We just got stuck in that denial, um, anger, and um, bargaining loop.
0: Yeah, I feel like you are describing like my first year in addiction, like in recovery.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: you know, you stop acting out, and then you're just overwhelmed by the emotion. I didn't, I didn't know it was emotion, but just overwhelmed by what's going on. And then to start identifying those emotions. I mean, anger was. Ing- I mean, there was shame for sure, but anger was my primary emotion. And when I stopped acting out, like I, I was so angry mm-hmm. <laughs> about everything mm-hmm. to everyone. And then working through that, um, you know, and some of it, like you said, turned into resentment because I couldn't set a boundary in some areas mm-hmm. or do things that I needed to do. And then. Some of it turned into acceptance and into sadness, into loneliness, into that, into that grief. I've never heard that phrase that um, addiction is the grief process interrupted, but I love that because I really relate to that. I think that for me and the women I work with and the experiences that I've had, that is true. Like As soon as I understood what I was grieving, I could get through the emotions and, and move on with my life.
1: Because you could actually interface with it when when we're in addiction, we're living in denial and we're doing a lot of bargaining. This loneliness comes up. I don't want to feel it. I'm going to get on Craigslist or I'm going to go find a hookup or I'm going to get some porn. Um, We're bargaining all the time instead of accepting this is what's on my plate and this is what I've got to deal with. And, Mm -hmm. And I think that's where dealing with the emotions can get tough is because when you feel those huge emotions, your immediate thought is, how do I get this to stop? How do I get away from it? If I go into this, it will never, ever stop. The good news is um, your body by itself has probably remained functional and your body has an attention span for tough emotions. Um, the average emotion with the way it feel, that shows up physiologically in the body. So like I talked about shame, the pit in the stomach, the heat, the wanting to fold into yourself. Your body can really only hold on to that feeling for two seconds to two minutes if if it's just the body sensation after that time frame it will subside and you're gonna have room for some other feelings like when you immediately experience shame you might as as that sensation passes you might then be able to notice this is a really new situation for me and I'm full of anxiety anxiety is a tough emotion but it's not the same as shame or you might experience that You know, I'm feeling shame because I misstepped or I misspoke. And you might experience some of that. Oops, I want to reconnect. Um, But it's really important to let the body feel the emotion without getting lost in the thoughts. I think that's really where I see people get stuck in the intense emotions is maybe they'll start. Again, referencing one of your podcasts, they'll start shooting on themselves. Right. I shouldn't feel this way. There's a right way to feel in this situation. Truth is, there's not right ways to feel in situations. There's never a you should feel this. If it's coming up for you, it's coming up for a reason. Your emotions are messengers. They have something to tell you. And when we can just stop and listen to what the body is saying, the body will calm down. And then we can start feeling and thinking a variety of things instead of getting locked into the doom spiral of whatever that emotion is.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things that a year ago like, literally changed my emotional life, was the idea that... It, my my body has an attention span for max of two minutes mm-hmm. for an emotion. And so I would literally, like, if I felt myself going into shame or anger or things like that, I sometimes would set a timer on my phone, like two minutes. I'm going to allow myself to feel this for two minutes, and then I'm going to have to push myself out of that because my that's all my body can handle. Mm-hmm. And that really, really helped me to, like you're saying, to look at other ideas, at other emotions that might be there, at other thoughts at you know whatever the circumstances are but to get out of myself and say okay two minutes and now I'm done.
1: Yeah and that sounds like some really great acceptance too. One of the quotes I love the most about intense emotions it comes from Marsha Linehan and she developed a kind of therapy called dialectical behavior therapy which is all about recognizing that there are truths that can be in opposition to each other and really hard to hold together but we can hold them together Mm -hmm. and she said acceptance is the only way out of hell. Mm. Um, And I think just that my body's here now. I'm overwhelmed. This is going to take some time. I can give it some time. That's part of practicing that acceptance so that that emotion doesn't have to get stuck. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was younger, I I always think of this when I think of tough emotions and what they have to tell us. When I was younger, um, a new kid had moved into our neighborhood, and he was just between me and my brother's age. And we'd been over, you know, the day before to help unload the truck, help being a, a very loose term i was probably eight he was probably ten so we were probably more getting in the way but the next morning it's like 7 a.m and our family woke up early but we took a while to get started at 7 a.m and there's a knock on the door we're all in our pajamas messy hair eating cereal my mom goes to the door and this kid is at the door and he's bouncing and he's like hey those kids that were at my house yesterday are they here can they play and she looks back at us at the kitchen table, and she's like, "Well, they're here, but it's kind of early. Why don't you come back in a couple hours? They need to get chores done. They need to get dressed." And I said, "Okay, I'll come back later." Fifteen minutes later, there's a knock on the door. <laughs> it's later. Can they play yet? And you know, this—it seems like this played out probably five times. And finally, she was like, "You know, why don't you come in and play?" And we weren't awake. We weren't active. So within ten minutes, he's saying, "You know, what? I think I'm going to go home. Um, let's get together another time." You know, and. He leaves. I think our emotions are the same way. We keep them at bay at the door for so long. They keep knocking and keep knocking. And it may even feel like um, because we're trying to keep them from coming in the door, they start oozing in the windows. Mm. They start finding other ways in. I think it's really important to just start letting it in the front door, hear what it has to say, and when it's done what it's going to do, it's going to move on. Um, so I, I think in in some steps to getting some leverage over our emotions. First of all, it's important to understand you can't fix an emotion. You can't think your way out of it. Um, You can't distract your way out of it. And that's not even the goal. Um, I I think the goal is to recognize it's there, get the message, and let it go. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll often tell my clients when they're feeling something intense, imagine like it's a wave of the sea. When the wave comes in and it's on the beach, what happens next? it goes right out. There's a rhythm to it. Um, and when we can start experiencing our emotions as something that has a rhythm and we can trust that they can be a little less overwhelming. We can actually experience some of that relief that you talked about.
0: Yeah. I, I really relate to that door analogy. I've actually used that similar in, um, in the fact that like, I feel like I have to be attentive at the door all the time. Mm -hmm. Like I have to constantly be pushing those emotions back. Otherwise they're just going to, overwhelm my life and overwhelm everybody in my life, and it's just going to. And I'm afraid to to let go of the door or even to walk inside. Like I just have to be constantly standing there attentive at the door. And then when I finally, like you said, they used through the window, underneath the door, around the door, I didn't have a choice anymore. And they just flood in that it wasn't nearly as scary Mm -hmm. You know, as I as I thought it was going to be and it wasn't nearly it didn't last last nearly as long as I thought it was going to last.
1: Yeah. And and I think it's important to be attentive at the door, but only so you can be like the butler on Downton Abbey. And, you know, (laughs) you call out the name of who's coming in the door.
0: Fear. It's fear at the door. Yeah. And
1: and like I said in the beginning, when we can name it, we can do something with it. Mm -hmm. Just recognizing, okay, this is fear. This is how fear feels to me. I've been to this emotion before. I've gotten through this emotion before. Um, it, it helps a lot. Um, that which we resist persists. And so if you're standing at the door trying to block it from coming in, it's going to come in even stronger. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: so, well, I was just going to say, so we, I mean, that's a lot of information about emotion. I know I, I want to move into... Uh, What do we do about it? You know, now that we know kind of what emotions are and that they're going to come, that there's a rhythm and all of this great information, you know, what do we do about it? And uh, that's where we're going to pick up next time you and I chat. I'm excited for you to join us in our next episode, continuing with John Taylor. That would be episode 48, our 48th episode. As always, ladies, I hope you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this very moment, no matter how big the emotions are that are causing problems for you, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight. Don't forget you can support Worth Recovery by being a Worth Warrior. If this podcast has helped you even a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. Remember, I think about you. I pray for you. I love you. Until next time, Amy.